So, I want to talk a little bit aspect of the Dharma. Before I take your questions, I'm happy to take your questions. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how this practice is, um, it's, a, it's a very simple practice. There's many different little ways we can do practice and it can actually end up feeling complicated sometimes because there's lots of different teachings and lots of ways we can examine what's happening. But the actual practice itself is a simple practice. And what I mean by that is I want, what I want to emphasize tonight is the part of it which is J-U-S-T, just noticing whatever's happening. This is simpler than what we normally do. What we normally do is something happens, a million things happen a second, but what happens then is we think about it and we get complicated and we add a whole lot of stuff not to everything that happens because most of it we don't even notice but certain things happen and they create some mental activity and then off we go adding a whole extra huge dimension all kinds of things and what we do in our practice is we're learning to undo that extra bit and simply stay with just the simple thing of whatever it is that's happening and so one of the ways that the Buddha described doing this was uh, he talked about true truthfulness what we mean by truthfulness we don't mean like never lying again what I'm meaning by truthfulness in that way is the truth of the actual actual thing that's happening the factual stuff without me adding my whole two bits worth, my commentary, my phantasmagorical explanatory blaming, oh, and then this, and oh, I remember that, and because of this, then this, which is an enormous, and um, not just enormous, it's, it's stressful, and it's um, almost always completely um, useless addition to the simple experience of being human, you know, and having things occur, bombard us. <clears throat> this isn't exactly about this, but it's a little story that kind of makes it, shows up how silly all this extra is. And don't take this personally, just because you're American and I was born in England, but this is about an American businessman on holiday. I'm quoting someone else's story, that's why I'm saying it, because it could have been any businessman on holiday. In somewhere like Turkey, I believe, um, on the beach and sunning and resting back, leaning back on an upturned boat. And leaning on the upturned boat a little further along the boat is a local dude, a fisherman looking kind of character. And they strike up conversation. And the, uh, the tourist, you know, discover, discovers that this guy, yeah, he's a fisherman. He lives here, he's lived here all his life. And this is, in fact, his boat that they're leaning on, on the beach. And so the American says, really? And it's like the middle of the day. And so he asks him, um, does he just have the one boat? He asks him about his life, his family, and all the rest of it. He has just one. He says, you know, you could. I, you know, do you go out you know, more than, you know, he said, I usually go out, whatever the hours are, you know, a few hours in the morning. And he said, do you ever, you know, go out a second time and get another catch and stuff? He says, no, not usually. And he says, well, you, you, could, you could go and get out another catch. And he said, well, why would I do that? 
And so the, the American says, well, if you did it again, then you'd, you'd have a double trip to market. And why would I do that? Well, then maybe you could have some people do that run for you, and then you could go out and get a third catch. And why would I do that? Well, so that then you could have several people work for you, and then you could have more profit. And then, and why would I do that? Well, then you could... And he keeps asking these questions and he keeps coming up with ways to grow his business. And eventually he says, well, and why would I do that? And he said, well, so that you could, so that you could do what you want. And he says, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of like that. It's like all these extra ideas and things that we could do with. In fact, all we need to do is just like be here, lean on the boat. You know, isn't that enough? One of the things that uh, one of the teachers in Spirit Rock, Sylvia Borstein, I'm sure some of you know who she is, um, she'll say this. It's, it's kind of like um, a judge in a court of law. You know, and there's a witness in the witness box and uh, has been asked a question and then uh, the witness is, is answering the question and then proliferating a whole lot of explanation and then so-and-so because so-and-so and I'm sure that would have been... And the judge leans over and says, just the facts, please. <laughs> It's like this. Can we be with just the facts of our experience without this proliferation of more stuff? We believe, of course, that if we explain it or um, figure out how it works or where to get more of it or whatever it is, that we'll be better off somehow, that it'll be helpful. I mean, we don't do it just for the sake of doing it. We do it because we actually believe it'll be helpful. But in actual fact, as we keep watching and seeing, it isn't that helpful. In fact, that's how we do get trapped into being what the Buddha called dukkha, struggling and suffering and tense and exhausted. We're always wanting a little bit more of something than what's just happening. The if-only disease. So if we can just have what is, and not if only this would just, when this is over, and then I'll just get this, and around the next corner, then it'll all be fine. When I get this paid off, and when this, and when I used to have an image of that. Fortunately, practice has helped this, but for years it used to be in my mind, and my mind sees pictures all the time. I always see, you know, like movies going on. Um, I'd be driving down a road, a nice country road, sunny, pleasant, and then it would have a bend coming up in the distance, going around behind some trees, and then I couldn't see what was next. And my life was just to get around that next corner. And then it would all somehow be fine. But there was always a corner that I still had to get around. And I no longer have to keep doing that. That's definitely changed over the years of practice. But it's that sense of just one more thing that has to still be accomplished before everything's okay. We think that, we think that in the future, getting whatever this is done or getting rid of whatever this thing is or getting over and done with something or other, it'll then be okay. And it never happens. It never happens that way. It's impossible. There's always another bend. <laughs> There's always some other bump in the road something I have to deal with. So, the feeling of being okay doesn't come from the next thing. It comes from being okay with what's already here. Just this. Just this. Without 
the bends in the road and the having to something with them. Simpler. I want what is. Just that. But that. Do we want what is or do we want what isn't quite? <laughs> we don't really want what is, usually. That's our, that's our problem. Can we shift and just let it, let it be okay as it is? It's simple. What's difficult is because we don't do that, the difficulty is training ourselves to just be simple. We're so sophisticated, we're so complicated, we're so clever, we're so scheming. So it's actually an unlearning, it's not a learning, it's not, we're not doing more, we're doing less. Well, I have a friend on Salt Spring who also was a midwife, we worked together for years, and she several times went up to northern Quebec, way up, um, almost in the Arctic Circle, and um, on the inside, way up top in Hudson's Bay, that great big bay you see on the maps, to a little Inuit community, because what happens mostly up there, when women having babies um, are having their babies up there, they are flown down by the provincial governments to big centers in the south, where all the sophistication is, six weeks before their babies are due, to wait for the baby to be born, rather than risk having the baby in their home little villages. They think, consider that such a better investment. And so there was a, a you know, project for a while to send midwives up rather than all the clients down. And this was one particular town which allowed these midwives, so she'd go up there and spend you know, two, three months at a time way high up in this Inuit village. And um, the first time she came back from having been up there, she said, partly it's their culture, just their culture, but partly it's their geographical reality. It's freezing cold and they have to wear furry clothing a lot of their time. So they don't talk very much. You know, and she'd say, hey, how are you? Fine. And she had all these things to say. She began to, began to realize that most of what she said was ridiculous, completely, <laughs> completely unnecessary, superfluous bullshit, you know. And here they were just like saying, thank you, yeah, okay, yes, no, to her questions. And she thought they were being hostile and unfriendly and unwelcoming and didn't like her. But actually, they just don't bother to say what they don't need to say. And really, we don't need to say a lot. <laughs> it's that same idea, simplicity. It really was re- interesting for her to realize how much her mind did around speech that really didn't need to do. It became quite a relief. Our meditation is truth-telling meditation. We're sitting here being with just what is. We're practicing in meditation. We're training ourselves to just do this. You sit here, what's actually happening? And off the mind goes with all of its explanation. We come back, oh, what's just happening? Just this, just this, this moment, just this. Simple, simple, simple. No stories. And it gets to be quite a relief, which is why we calm down when we practice. As one of the first benefits is because we're not doing a lot of complicated, you know, stuff. We're just like dropping all that and just staying simple. That's why it's so relieving. That's why the blood pressure goes down right away. Even when things are unpleasant, there's a relief in being able to say this is what's happening. 
in my years of being a midwife, you know, mostly what I did was reassure people who were going through the pain of their labor. And some of them would be, and I was almost always with first-time mothers who had the most pain. So here's a woman in throes of labor and lots and lots of pain, and she's saying, God, this is so painful. And my job as a midwife would be to say, yeah, <laughs> it's really painful. That was really an intense contraction. Man, this is intense. You're in really heavy labor here. And it's such a relief to be told, yeah, actually it's painful. That's right. You should be feeling like that. It is painful. Instead of like, it shouldn't be, I'm doing something wrong. Oh no, this isn't okay. How long? And making it all the worse by get, thinking about it, getting complicated. Just like, yeah, that's right. It hurts. Mm-hmm. It's a relief. One of my early experiences in teaching, because um, what we do most, well, mostly what I do is um, a retreat teaching, teach people in intensive retreats. And so mostly what we do when we're teaching intensive retreats, we do a talk like this. But most of the day we're interviewing people one-on-one and talking about their practice. And so one of the earliest, first retreats I taught, and one of the earliest interviews I had was a woman, um, my age, funnily enough, she's like six days younger than me or something, We've become good friends. Her husband had just been diagnosed with a really serious liver disease. Was still relatively okay, but knew that this was a fatal disease. And if he got sufficiently ill, but was caught in time, he might qualify for a transplant in a few years' time, depending on how rapidly he got sick and how readily available or not there was another liver and all the rest of it. So, or else he was going to kill him. And they just had this information and then she came on a retreat. Well, not just, they had time to process it. So she was full of potential grief, but not really yet grief because he was still sort of the same, but full of fear about what was going to be faced for them, you know. What's actually happened is a year ago he had a transplant. He, got nearly, he nearly died and he got a transplant and it's worked so far and they're carrying on. But this is, you know, five or six years later. Anyway, she was sharing with me this, because this was the most important news in her life. And, uh, and she was really upset and she cried. And yet, we discovered how sweet it was for her to be able to talk about the fear of her potential grief. When you can't talk about it, it looms bigger. You know what it's like. It's why we go to therapists. It's why we need feedback. It's why we go and talk to our friends. So that this monstrous thing that's bothering us in the middle of the night, we talk about it. Just the facts, please. Okay, it's just this. It's not as much as we tend to make of it in the mind, right? So we're, we're learning to do this in our meditation. Just face what's actually happening. And usually, especially when it's difficult, it reduces to what it really is rather than what we've inadvertently turned it into. Right? Simplifying our lives. And it's a relief. She was so relieved. There was something, there was such a relief in the sweetness of being able to cry and know that it was going to be really stressful. And it was all sort of manageable because it was all up front now, instead of lurking, you know. There are lots of things we do extra that we don't need to do that don't help us. But I'm just going to mention a couple of them. There's tons of them, but I'm just going to mention this couple of them. One of them is expectation. We, it, that's, that's completely made up. 
we expect, it's the same thing about the bend in the road, and we expect something, we want something to happen in the future, expectation of the future. Expectation. We need a certain amount of the, all this stuff that we do, we need a certain amount, it's how we function. But we, it's got way out of control. You know, so what, what our minds do is extreme, far too much. An expectation, you cannot have expectation without disappointment. If you don't have expectation, you never have disappointment, right? George Bernard Shaw said, there are two great disappointments in life. One is not getting what you want, and the other is getting what you want. (laughs) Because when you get the thing you've expected, it isn't quite what you expected. Or it very soon ceases to be what you thought it was going to be. It becomes ordinary or something. It's not so desirable or satisfying as when you actually were full of desire for it. It's the yearning that gives the thing color. There's a Tibetan phrase, craving puts feathers on the object. Isn't that the sweetest thing? So it just like fancies it up. But when you actually have it, like a bird in the hand, talking about feathers on it, it's not so intriguing or wonderful anymore. So you then have to have something else to want, right? And that's how we keep going. So be wary about expectation. And the other one to mention that we do so much, and we do all these things so much, but this one is such a mean one that we do so much, is the word should, which is similar to expectation. But it's like, oh, I should have not done that, or I should do that, or that. It's like expectation, but it's, a kind of, it's more than expectation. It's judgment. This isn't necessary. You are who you are, you do what you do, you learn what you learn, you learn your lessons or not. You care, sometimes you don't care that much, sometimes you care more. It's what it's like. But we add this whole level of, I should do this, and he should have done that, and how dare he not have done that, and oh my God. We make a huge extra. And then we get into judgment, and we get into blame, and we get into frustration, and we get into unworthiness, and we... And then it was all because of my mother, and on and on and on, on and on. We've made that all up. That's all extra. We just are how we are. It's simpler. Can we keep it simpler? That's what we're trying to learn. Not be so complicated about it all. So, um, when we do our practice, we're training ourselves to stay simple. Simply with what is. This body, the body as it's breathing, the body as it feels its pain or its tension, the body as it feels its emotion. Because it's so easy with an emotion, for instance, to get into the explanation about why I feel this way and all the players that impacted me to make me feel this way. and. On and on we go, right? I'm sure you've heard this, but I'm going to say this because I love this word, papancha. You know this word, papancha? This is the word the Buddha taught for um, the proliferation of mind. Here's what I'm talking about. P-A-P-A, like papa, N-C-A. Papancha. C is pronounced cha. Papancha. Proliferation. 
we're practicing not papancha. So with emotion, for instance, papancha is just so prevalent because it's such a juicy, charged thing, our feelings. So we then add all these thoughts and explanations and descriptions and everything. One of the most useful ways is to just be with your body when it feels whatever it is it's feeling. If it's feeling irritated, how does irritated feel? How is just irritation? How does it feel? The facts, not the explanations, just the facts, please, right back to the judge in court. And the body can actually reveal that quite usefully. So the body is unbelievably our ally in doing all this. when I began with instructions, talking about hearing, what actually is happening is sound waves hitting the eardrum. It's papancha that says, oh, that's a so-and-so, and there's the train, and that must be the last train of the day. Joseph Goldstein, one of the senior teachers, says, the mind hears the bird song. Wait a second. The ear hears the bird song. The mind says, bird song. <laughs> We're trying to train ourselves to just hear without that extra. The reason that we're trying to do all this is because it's the truth itself, the actual things that are going on, not what our mental proliferation makes of it. That is where, when we see clearly how something really is on its own, without our version of reality around it, that we go, oh, I see. And in a moment of going, oh, that's a moment of realization. That's why we use the word realization. It's not learning something or analysis or figuring it out or getting it together. It's like, oh, right. So who here has had an insight where they go like, oh, yeah, an aha moment? Who has not had an aha moment in their lives? Right? Some, some kind of aha moment. It isn't like you figured it out. You already knew it, really. But it's like, oh yeah. Well, that aha moment only happens in is true. It's truth. It isn't your version of on top of it. It's actually without your version getting out of the way. And it's like, oh yeah, that's what's going on actually. Of course. So here's another little tiny story. Then I'll stop talking soon. Ask questions. I've often told this story. It's a fantastic story. I have a friend called Carol. She's Irish. And uh, her mother lives in Ireland, and she's a little old Irish woman now. And she comes to visit Carol once in a while. And she was visiting Carol, who lives in Vancouver, British Columbia. So her little old old mother was visiting her. I mean, Carol's little, but her mother's tiny. And her mother one day had to go to the bank. And so she, Carol took her mom to the bank. And, uh, and Carol was standing in the back, and her mom was up at the teller doing whatever she had to do. And uh, Carol couldn't hear the conversation, but she could see the teller sort of looming down over her mother with a very rude expression on her face, speaking in obviously very offensive kind of language to her mother. So she was getting really defensive, of course, and uh, and protective of her mom and stuff. So after a few moments, she couldn't stand it. So she walked up to the teller to tell her to, excuse me, you know, like she's a little old woman here. Just in time to hear her mother leaning on the counter saying to the teller, Have you ever thought of doing different kind of work, dear? (laughs) Now, normally what we would do is, how dare you do that to me? I don't know, I don't know. We'd make a whole scene out of it. Well, she was a wise woman. 
And she didn't go into a whole proliferation around this woman being mean to her. She just saw what was actually going on. This woman was stressed out. <laughs> That's why she was doing all that. So she just saw how it really was. She didn't see her whole version of reaction around it. Much more appropriate. She wasn't upset. She was fine. It's actually a great relief when we see what's really going on instead of get caught in our whole drama around it. That's why we want to see what's really happening, not what we think is happening. When we see what's really happening, we understand. When we understand, it's like, oh, that's what's happening. Okay. It's manageable. It's reduced from being some big monstrous thing of me. It just is how it is. Much more able then to just be with life as it is. The whole idea we're trying to learn is just to be with life as it is. Not change anything, not change ourselves. Just let it be. And then we feel, okay, it's okay. Things just are. Of course they're like that. It's a relief. And the Buddha is always trying to teach us the pure heart's relief or release. The pure heart's release. The feeling is, oh yeah, oh, that's okay. And the more we see clearly, the more we get that feeling of like, oh, okay. The lighter things are, the happier we become, the freer we get. We're freer. We're free from all of this extra junk. That's what we're getting free from. Which isn't necessary, which we don't have to do. So we're not learning more, we're learning less. Ramana Maharshi, Indian Advaita teacher, try to be less, not more. In Krishnamurti, anybody not know Krishnamurti? Krishnamurti said this, when the mind is still, tranquil, not seeking an answer or a solution even, not resisting anything or avoiding anything, it's only then that there's a real regeneration because then the mind's capable of perceiving what's true. And it is the truth that liberates us. It's not our efforts to be free. It's just the truth. So that's why we calm our minds down so we can see what's true. And I'll end with this little quote. This is from some Frenchman called Francois Fenelon who lived in 16, the last half of the 1600s. He said this, As light increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. We're amazed at our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our hearts a whole swarm of shameful thoughts and feelings. We never could have believed that we had harbored such things, and we stand aghast as we watch them gradually appear. But we must neither be amazed nor disheartened, we're not worse than we were. On the contrary, we're better. But while our faults diminish, the light by which we see them waxes brighter, and we're filled with horror. Bear in mind, for your comfort, that we only perceive our malady when the cure begins. <laughs> so we have to see all the stuff that's here, embarrassing as it may be, or shocking as it may be, oh my God. But that's how it works. We see things, we see what's really going on and we go, oh, I see. That's the only way we can 
be released. So, truth is one thing. It all sounds very nice and very simple, but of course, as we start watching ourselves, we start seeing ourselves, which is the real reason why people don't like to meditate. (laughs) It's not the sitting still and the pain in the body, which we have to get over. It's actually looking at yourself. And after a while, be encouraged. Initially, it's like, oh my God, all your stuff. And then it's very dramatic. And then you go into memories about it and it gets all very emotional. Oh, and people are in tears sometimes. On retreats, that is. After a while, magically, I think it's magic how it works. Some, it dawns, at least this is how it worked for me, it dawned on me one day. It was like, I had some realization about myself, something I was doing. And I realized it wasn't just something I was doing, it was something we do. This is what people do. This was my particular version of what it is being a human being. And suddenly I was realizing, oh, she's doing something like, oh, she's, I don't know what that's going on. She was crying and somebody's laughing or somebody's leaning forward in the lunch line, you know, really hungry. And, and you see this behavior and you go, like, oh, that's what it's like to be, to be us. And you start being more aware of us instead of me. That's what magical about it. So then, you, because you've understood yourself, you start understanding other people. When you start understanding each other, the difference, the distance between us, the separation between us, starts disappearing. Which is why you get to actually be friendlier when you do more practice. Because you should understand each other more. But you don't understand yourself and you haven't wanted to see all this stuff that he talked about, this embarrassing stuff. You don't want to see what's in anyone else either. So you don't understand yourself, you don't understand other people, and you're alienated. When you start to say, oh gosh, I feel, oh my goodness. You, th- there's an allowing of yourself and in that you start allowing other people. And it just gets, it just gets better. But you've got to get over that first period of, oh my God. <laughs> now it might take a while. So be patient with yourself. That's why I said in the very beginning, be friendly, be gentle, be kind about it, be interested in it, don't take it too seriously. And then with time, it gets actually less amazing. I mean, it gets more amazing, but it gets less difficult in that way and just more intriguing and more helpful. And then watch out because then you'll be addicted because that's what happens. If you take to it, then you're addicted. Maybe I'm preaching to the addicted already. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Maybe a few of these words will be remembered and be useful sometime. So please, question time. Yeah. You don't have, please don't ask me just what I've talked about. If you have anything you want to ask about, about what you're dealing with, you know, you don't understand, or whatever's going on for you, that's fine. Every I night. just want to say you're, you're an angel. Oh, no, I'm not. You really <laughs> you are. <wouldn't> know. <laughs> um, it's obvious that you're a healer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I appreciate that in you. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, um, regarding what you just said, that there's a great book. It's not a Buddhist book, but if anyone's interested... Um, it's by Debbie Ford, and it's called Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Oh, yeah. And it's all about learning how to really own your inner bitch, as it were, <laughs> or your other. <laughs> right. So um, it's just a really good book if uh-huh. anybody's interested. Similar in the same, yeah.
Could you talk a little bit about resolving goals? Yeah. And the in order to or what's around the next time? Yeah. The thing about um, our planning and our wanting and our wanting to be comfortable and all the things we do, it's normal to do. And how, it's how we are how we are as human beings, how we've survived as humans. Um, and so we need to, it's, it's okay, you know, we're not going to try and stop it, you know, having any goals and stuff like that. The thing is, um, we, we've lost moderation. We've carried it too, too far. What that means is that we hang our happiness on the outcome of these efforts. And then if they fail, we're bummed out. So instead of being attached to the goal, we aim for something because we need to choose in our lives what to do and where to go and who to be with and all of the things we have to decide. So we aim wisely, you know, when we make decisions and we make choices and everything. And, and we even have certain goals. But we need to not get attached to whether or not it works. Because sometimes it will and sometimes it won't. And sometimes it won't and it's not our fault or sometimes we didn't know enough information or we didn't actually have the ability or something comes along and distracts us. Who knows? All millions of things happen. And so the outcome is actually way too complicated for us to be able to control almost always. But that doesn't mean to say we don't try. So we do what we can. We aim high even. But we don't cling on to it working then we don't get upset about it not working. But, it, but it's a very interesting thing to not cling on, but to still aim high. So it's a, about this. See this palm? It's an open palm. It's doing what we can in the world because we care about it for ourselves, for the world, for our people we know about and everything. But without having to have that happen. So it's not having to have it. We have to have it. It's not attached. That's the problem is the attachment. One of the phrases that's used in this whole thing is rope burn. Attachment is rope burn. Clinging on to something would actually, we can't hold on to because it's going way beyond us. And it just hurts to hang on. But that doesn't mean we don't actually aim for stuff. But can we aim and say, and who knows? I'll do the best I can, but you know, never really know. So there's a certain, there's a delicate balance. We don't just never get up in the morning and never bother with anything and who cares anyway because we're all going to die. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we have intention without hanging on to the result. It's a very subtle difference but it allows for grace and ease. And still movement, you know, still responsibility and still because we create karma, you know, we have to deal with things. We're responsible people. Otherwise it's irresponsible. So we be responsible, but without being attached. Yeah. Check how's your fist. Is it hanging on, or is it saying, "Well, you know, we'll see what happens here. I'm going to try for this one, but it's beyond me, really." Is that useful? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. When you were speaking, there were two words that came to mind. One was acceptance. Yeah. I mean. I always use one word to sum up the level of what you were talking about. I would use the word acceptance. Yeah. And then another word was surrender. Yeah. And then the third word was ignorance. Mm. Um, ignorance of mind, body, and spirit. 
words, you know, they're great words, that accepting and, and uh, surrender are great words. I want to just make a tiny comment, if you don't mind about that. What's your name? My name's Tom. Hi, Tom. Just a little comment, because this can hang people up easily, all of us, easily. Um, accepting doesn't necessarily mean condoning. In other words, we don't accept everything that's not okay. But there's this kind of sense of saying, um, I don't like that, that's not okay, that's inappropriate, and it's happening. Like, for instance, the, um, Carol's mother at the teller. So the way the teller was treating her wasn't okay. So she didn't just, like, get abused by it. In that case, what she was able to do was to say, you know, what you're doing isn't okay. Let me just see if there's another way to deal with this. So she wasn't being rolled over. She wasn't being a doormat. What I mean by sort of enabling inappropriate behavior. It doesn't mean that. But it doesn't mean doing the same back to somebody either and causing more pain. So surrender, accepting, can cause people to think, oh God, are all Buddhists complete, you know, like pushovers? You know, or do we never complain about anything? Or etc. So it's an interesting, it doesn't mean condoned, it doesn't mean enabled, doesn't mean put up with, but it means um, realizing actually what's happening. And sometimes we have to say no, actually. Sometimes we have to say this isn't okay. So, it's, it's, you know, and, and there's a lot, gets often into semantics. What do we mean? I like the word allow, but that again isn't mean, doesn't mean enable. Well, it was like a duck that lets water go over it. it yeah, just keeps that's right. I mean, I you know what you're saying and I agree with you. Yeah, but, but at the same time, there's that point where you do have to stand firm and resolute about certain behavior. Yeah, that's that right. That it's acceptable not to accept that behavior. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, my name's Andrea. I'm just better at talking to people who have names oh. <laughs> than faces who don't have names. I didn't ask your name in the back, but I'm sorry. I'd be interested in your thoughts about detachment and detachment. how detachment and how that relates to the being in the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's a big question. Um, the main thing I would say. To almost, almost every question that people have about how this practice works for us is um, to do the practice and see for yourself how it unfolds. Because these things just, it works, <laughs> in my experience. It works by revealing things to us. And at different times, different people, different things that we begin to realize. So we can't make ourselves see things until suddenly we got, we got it when we say, oh, I see that. 
You can't just, you can't fake it. However, detachment, um, there's a difference between detachment and non-attachment. I know this gets really wordy here. When we're attached, like I was just talking to you in the back, your name? Beth. Beth, about clinging on, right? Being attached. Um, Not doing that is not being attached, the open palm. But being detached can mean not caring. Can mean like, you know, I I don't care actually. I'm not attached to anything. Doesn't matter what happens. I may as well not get out of bed. So to be, so I would think that you're asking me about non-attachment rather than detachment. So non-attachment, the not clinging on, comes as we see more, as we keep practicing and as we understand more. The more we understand, the less we will cling on. So for instance, when we um, have a goal to do something, as Beth was asking about, and uh, we, we try to do this thing, but we keep practicing and we keep seeing clearly, we see the truth of things and we realize I may or I may not achieve this thing because I may get ill before it happens or I may suddenly find something other situation is happening. We allow ourselves to see the more and more of what's really happening rather than my particular agenda. And that means I'm, we don't get so attached, we get more non-attached. Non-attached meaning we aren't so agenda-driven, ego-driven. When someone is wiser, they're less ego-driven. Carol's mother wasn't so ego-driven dealing with the teller as Carol was in going to you know, spar with the woman. She was definitely attached to this woman, not treating her mother a certain way. Her mother was non-attached. Her mother wasn't reactive. She wasn't attached to any particular thing, but she was able to have some concern and speak to the woman. That ability of non-attachment is actually wisdom. And wisdom comes on its own. We can't make ourselves wise. What we can do is keep seeing the truth. And as we keep seeing things clearly, ourselves, our behaviors, human behavior, how minds work, what upsets people, what makes people feel good. As we see more and more of it, we become wiser. As we're wiser, we're less attached. It happens on its own. We can't make that speed up. We just keep looking, keep being present, keep seeing what's true, truth-telling practice, And lo and behold, magically over time, we're less attached. That's called the fruit of practice. You can't make the fruit happen. You can just do the gardening thing. You know, you just like weed out the things that get in the way and keep paying attention. And and, uh, fruit happens when fruit happens. Is that helpful? Hi. My name. My name is Grace. Hi, Grace. And I, I have a little uh, something to share on the fruits of not being too attached. Mm-hmm. I um, have a job where it's quite stressful at times, and my the way I react is I get real tense. My shoulders go up like this, and then I start to have a headache. Mm-hmm. And so then, then I have to take the headache med- medication. So all that it's a whole wicked, wicked circle. Like, circle yeah. Yes, yes, and it goes on and on. So. <clears throat> I thought I'd try an experiment by right, really paying attention, identifying the, the place in the head and watching it. Oh, it moves over here from this eye to this eye. 
Oh, and then my shoulders are up. Oh, I just put them down. And I, so yesterday was a whole day of that victory. I, I worked something like a 15-hour day. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was crazy, but the headache wanted to come and get me. But I just looked at it, let go of it, and I sailed through that day. It was like really a big, big thing for me not uh-huh. to have a headache. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, cheaper too. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, yeah, it's fascinating. And now when you see that and you can realize how by checking yourself and seeing, oh, right, my shoulders are up again, you don't have to then do more and say, okay, I mustn't put my shoulders up, I must put them down now. They just go down because you see they're up, you see it's not necessary, you realize, I don't need to do that. And then you realize, oh, there's less headache because of that. All of that is realizing those are insights and you're seeing that no one can teach you that no one can take that away from you you know you know this works you know that's true and so the more you see these things the more they're yours it's like you're putting money in the bank and also you're not attached to not having a headache it's like oh my god my headache oh I'm so glad <laughs> you just get more relaxed in general there's always more the teachers say keep going <laughs> Was there a hand over there? No. Okay. Yeah. Hi, my name's Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Um, when I was thinking about, um, or when Tom mentioned, um, we were talking about acceptance and detachment and everything, what's really helped me or encouraged me with uh, the practice is uh, somebody had said that the more you practice, you're more able to be responsive rather than reactive. That's right. And then that ties in also with Carol's mother, which I think is beautiful to be able mm-hmm. to do that. So mm-hmm. so Carol and her mother, again, you know, Carol's the reactive one and her mother was responsive. Yeah, I think it's Gil who said this. It's anyway, it's in a, um, a Zen, one of the Zen patriarchs who, who or maybe he wasn't a patriarch, maybe it was Suzuki Roshi, I think, said, um, enlightenment is uh, an appropriate response. I love that. It's like, so when something's happening, what, what actually is helpful here? What's appropriate? What needs to happen? Whereas a reaction is, an, is my agenda to whatever it is. I don't like this. I do want that or more of this or less of that. It's very it's tiny. Whereas a response is, is from wisdom, as I was saying to Andrea. Yeah, that's right. Big difference. Lovely. Yeah. Hi, Hello. I'm Tracy. Tracy. Um, a comment and a question. Um, I wanted to thank you for the talk tonight. Um, it was it resonated especially for me because I'm actually right in the middle of that oh my god uh, part of my meditation practice. Oh, seeing yourself. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. Uh huh. And your words really were okay. comforting. Okay. But my question is, how do or can you speak to um, how you work with self-acceptance as you start to see yourself? Right, right. Very important. Um, so how we work, I mean, we're, we're in the very beginning when I was talking, well, at the very beginning I was doing your body and hearing and so on. But then I said there's three attitudes to how we practice. So right when there's nothing much going on and you're just sitting here and you're just beginning to connect with presence three attitudes one is curiosity 
One is receptivity, like hearing, like whatever's happening is happening. You're not in charge. You know, you're just, life is happening here, not your agenda. But the other one is friendliness, friendliness, kindness. So not to do it with should. That's why when I said there's some of the extra things we do that we don't need, most of what we do is extra and we don't need to do it. But the second one I mentioned was should. So when you see yourself doing stuff, or you see things about yourself, immediately what we tend to do, the proliferating mind, the papancha, that what the mind does is like, oh my God, why did I do that? I should never have done that. Even if the should word isn't actually there, it's like, oh my God, you idiot. Like, how could you be this way? Or something. Not again. Or, you know, so even if the should word doesn't really form itself, it's that attitude of idealism. I have a little phrase, which I've been using the last few months, the tyranny of idealism compared to the friendliness of realism. Okay, you're a human being. Okay, you live in a certain place, you had certain kind of parents, you had certain kind of siblings, you had certain kind of teachers, you ate certain kind of food, you saw certain kind of TV shows that turned you all into you. You had those genes, you had, and there you are. How can you be any other way? Are you supposed to think your way through your life or are you simply a part of life? We, we believe that if that we're in charge of ourselves and we can make ourselves how we're supposed to be. But it's not true. If we could, we would all be fantastic. <laughs> We'd be perfect, wouldn't we? We'd be smart and cute and kind and generous and patient and everything. We all want to be that way. So obviously that doesn't work. <laughs> so we better let go of that idealism and just see, okay, now how is it? How is it that this person is this way? And you're the way you are because of a million reasons. You can't control those reasons. A few of them may be. So whatever the ones you may be able to do something about, if you don't like some of it, okay, what can I actually do with here? But a lot of it you can't help. So it's like being realistic and being a... Just being reasonable about yourself. So you don't have to then, you know, beat yourself up and think you shouldn't, da-da-da-da-da, because it doesn't work that way. We don't, we, we, we don't work that way. We're just people. <laughs> We're just part of nature, you know. Like, crows weren't supposed to be swallows, you know. <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, which is people. And uh, we have our stuff. And the other thing is, there's, there's nice stuff, there's nasty stuff, there's normal stuff, all of it. There isn't, there's, it's not all supposed to be great. Like that's an idealistic world. You know, it's like there's times when we get anxious, there's times when we get afraid, there's times that we get guarded, there's times that we get confident, times that we get overconfident. We're always going like this, a little too this way and then we're fine, and a little too this way and then we're fine. And it's like, when we start, we're noticing how we've gone really far in certain areas, but there's all kinds of other stuff. The thing that I have found the most useful, I mean, the two things I found the most useful is one is over just it, the fruit of, as I said earlier, magically beginning to realize it isn't just me who does this stuff, this is us doing this stuff. That really helped. 
And that just came because of time, you know, it just came on its own. And the other thing that also came over time was, um, which is the same thing really, being able to um, just say to myself, you know, it's okay, Heather, you're doing the best you can. Like that, the way I answered you, I could answer myself. And again, that would come over time, because initially I was way, way too idealistic and way too unworthy and, oh God, way too competitive and all kinds of things, way too everything. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, my, my sort of standards low and I got more realistic, and that's okay. Sometimes I blow it, you know. I have my, my little areas that people trigger, and, and other times I'm amazingly together, considering. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it's a perspective thing. And perspective grows like I was answering Andrea, both with, with understanding. And as the perspective grows, we see, okay, I'm just a mere mortal here, doing the best I can. I have a fantastic poem that I, I haven't got, but I'll bring it next week. It's from one of my favorite books of poetry, and it's by Hafiz. And, uh, and it says something, I can't remember most of it, but the last few lines are, we're all trudging along with as much dignity, style, and courage as we can including you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's a burning last one. Everyone's on this side of the room and everyone's here like chilling out. Or something. Any last anything on this half? <laughs> it's 8 o'clock just about. Okay, this is a great pleasure to spend some time with you. I hope this is all useful to some of you. I know this is, you know, some of you have been practicing longer than others, but I know there are, the majority of people here, you've only been practicing within the last few years, I believe. Is that not true? Is that not necessarily true? That's what I was given to understand. So I've been aiming this more in that, in that direction. So, um, And then I'll just say this once, and I'll be here two more Thursdays. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'll just say this one time, but um, what, whatever you do, give me in the way of dana. I just have to say thank you so much for doing it. It's such a treat to be able to, to live like this. I live like this. I don't do any other job these days. For the last nine months now, I've stopped all my birthing business. And so um, it's a, quite an amazing thing. To begin with, it's scary as hell. You know, I was like, oh my goodness, what will it be like? Because I was very good at budgeting and you know predicting. And now it's like... We'll just have to see what happens. But um, it's, it's, it's quite uh, amazing to be able to not have to worry and think and just to be actually given to. To receive is quite a challenge, but actually to be given to is a d- delightful thing. Anyway, whatever it is you want to do in the way of support for me, I just wanted to say this one time. Thank you so much. It's great. Okay, so have an enjoyable week or whenever. I'll see you another time perhaps, hopefully. Okay, take care. Any other announcement? Anything? No, that's it. Okay. You're free. (laughs) Maybe.